Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Christian Schmidt. I'm one of the interns here at our Lake Forest campus. Uh, and uh, if I haven't had a chance to, to get to know one of you yet, um, I, I would love to after the service. Uh, my wife, Abby, and I have been able to serve here for the last about seven or eight months now. Um, we were able to get married back in August of, of 2020, and right after our wedding, we, we pretty much moved uh, right away to this location um, and have been serving here ever since while I finish out my school at Trinity. And, and we just have felt so blessed and, and, and thankful to be a part of this uh, church family and getting the chance to get to know so many of your, your students at our middle school ministry, Cove, and at our high school ministry, Shig. And so um, we just feel very welcomed and loved by this church family. Now, uh, a little bit about me. Uh, I grew up in rural Indiana, about two hours away from here. Okay, uh, most of my dad's side of the family uh, were farmers. Okay, they were pretty much all farmers. So my, my grandpa and all of his brothers grew up working on farms. A lot of my cousins grew up working on farms. Uh, my dad just recently bought a farmhouse where in the summer, if you go outside, you are completely surrounded by corn. Okay, like, like you, any direction you turn, you will only see corn. And that's, that's a part of my family's history. Now, if you ask anyone in my family, though, about, about me, they will tell you that I am very much not a farmer, okay? I'm, I'm painfully not handy, and I know very little about what it takes to operate in that world. However, when I found out that I was getting to preach on the Good Shepherd, I thought, okay, like, this is, this is going to be great. Like, I, I may not be a farmer, but, but I bet I have tons of stories and illustrations that I can apply to this story that are really going to bring John 10 to life, it turns out that wasn't uh, entirely the case, though. Uh, the Good Shepherd does deal with, well, a, a shepherd being Jesus and sheep who, spoiler alert, we are the sheep. And I found out as I was studying that not only have I never seen a real-life shepherd, uh, but I also don't know all that much about sheep. Like, I thought I knew all there was to know about sheep. I mean, they're a pretty standard animal. Uh, but the more that I looked into sheep, the more that I realized that, that the fact that that's who we're represented by in this parable is probably the most humbling part of our text today. Because sheep are, they're kind of dumb, okay? Like, like, there's no other way for me to say it. They're not very bright animals. Like, if, if I got to pick what animal I was going to be represented by, I would pick, like, like a shark, right? Like, like powerful apex an, uh, predator teeth or, or a giraffe, long necks, powerful legs, beautiful animals. But a sheep? A, a sheep would be at the bottom of my list. And as I was studying more about sheep, I, I found out that sheep might actually be the single worst animal that there is. <laughs> they're not strong. They're not independent. They're not capable. They're afraid of everything. They're definitely not bright. They don't see right. They don't hear well. They're, they're stubborn. And, and most importantly, if a sheep doesn't have a shepherd guiding it almost 24-7, then they try to do things their own way, which pretty much always leads to them dying. If we go back and look at Psalm 23, we see that it describes a couple of roles that the shepherd has to do for the sheep. And we see that it's the shepherd's job to make his sheep lie down. Okay, because like, I, I thought this would, was a no-brainer for any animal. Like, I love a chance to, to lie down and rest. You don't have to tell me twice that it's okay for me to stop and take a nap. But, but apparently sheep can't even do that right, right. They don't realize when they need to rest, so they need a shepherd in their lives to remind them, hey, it's time to lay down. And if, and if they don't have that shepherd, then the sheep will just keep on going and going until their bodies are completely depleted, and then they just kind of fall over and wait to die. And that, that's who Jesus is comparing us to in this parable. 
Another job of the shepherd is to, to lead his sheep to still water. Okay, so sheep, they don't like running water because they know that, that while they're taking a drink, they could fall in and be carried away from their flock and, 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 and carry down the river and, and eventually die. So it was the shepherd's job to find still water and then lead the sheep to that still water so that they could do something as take a drink. But there's a third job of the shepherd that I really want us to focus on before we move to our text today. And that was to find the sheep when they got lost. All right, so remember, sheep, not bright, and, and they want to go their own way. So a lot of times the sheep would wander off on its own and then go until it couldn't go anymore, and then they, they fall over and they just kind of roll on their back and, and they can't get up by themselves. So, so they just kind of lay there and wait to either be rescued or to die. So it was the shepherd's job to not only find the sheep, find the lost sheep, but also to find it in time. And, and when they found it, they had to get it flipped back upright before they either starved or suffocated or got eaten by another animal. Now, this is the point that we need to understand. Without their shepherd, sheep are totally lost. Okay, they're completely hopeless. They can't even lay down without the help of their shepherd, right? So, so without the shepherd, the sheep are on a path that leads to death. But with that in mind, I also want to make this really important note. So, so please hear me when, when I say this. Our passage today, the main point of our passage is not the dumbness of the sheep, it's the goodness of the good shepherd. It's how much the good shepherd loves his sheep. And we need to understand the goodness of the good shepherd in light of the fact that we are all like lost sheep. And when we really dig deep beneath the surface, we've, we've all been lost, right? Some of us might even be going through a season right now where we feel lost. Maybe it's because of, of frustration or confusion or sorrow or guilt. Maybe you made a decision where you left the flock and went against what God wanted you to do, and, and you know you messed up, and as a result, you're left wandering. This happens to every single one of us. Even those of us who know the gospel, sometimes we get lost. Right? We can lose sight of our faith. We can follow our own selfish motives. We can lose the battle with temptation. It's because of this that it's so important that we know who our good shepherd is and recognize his voice when he calls Jesus is the good shepherd. And we're going to see in John 10 that when Jesus becomes the shepherd of our lives, we receive life to the full in three different ways. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, John uh, chapter 10. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 11 through 21 today. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and just read uh, a big chunk of this, I, the parable portion. I think that it's helpful for us to hear the whole story, uh, uh, concise. I think it'll help us with our understanding, and, and then we'll, we'll break, break down the text a little bit after that. So John 10 uh, verses 11 and following say this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's the hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. 
So currently, we're in the I Am series, right, where we're looking at all of the I Am statements that Jesus makes throughout the book of John. And when Jesus says, I am, it's a reference to the Old Testament when God says, I am the I am. So whenever Jesus makes these claims, he's, he's making a claim to deity. And, and right away, in verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And that's really the whole point of our parable today. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the one that the Old Testament has been pointing forward to in the historical books, in the prophetic books. So we need to understand that, that when Jesus is making these claims, he's making a radical messianic claim to his listeners. He's not just a good shepherd. He's the good shepherd who the world has been longing for. So Jesus says he's the good shepherd. But, but like the sheep, we need to make sure that we have a, a good understanding of what shepherds actually were. Okay, because the listeners who were there at hearing Jesus that day, that's a, shepherds was a topic that, that would have been really familiar for them. Okay, Israel at the time, it was mostly rural, so a lot of the listeners probably had seen shepherds before. Some of them probably knew shepherds. Some of them may have even been shepherds at one point. Uh, there's no uh, evidence of this in the text, so don't quote me on this. Um, but when I'm reading through this parable and trying to, to imagine the scene unfolding, I can, I can almost picture as Jesus is teaching this people that off in the, uh, in the distance, there actually was a shepherd tending to his flock. And the point is that the people listening to Jesus had an understanding of shepherds that we don't necessarily have today. Okay, I think that a lot of times when we picture shepherds, we picture the nativity scene shepherds, right? They're pretty mild-mannered looking, not, not real strong, average guys with beards, right? Like we picture a guy standing in a field with a staff, staring off into the distance as, as the wind blows through his beard and through his robe. But when we look at the biblical uh, evidence of shepherds, we see that that's not really how they're depicted, Shepherds in the Bible were, were actually strong and courageous men. It was exhausting work and extremely dangerous to be shepherds. First Samuel tells us about David's experience as a shepherd. He says this, he says, I was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and took a sheep from the flock, I went out after it and attacked it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it rose up against me, I grabbed it by its mane and struck it and killed it. So right here, we're seeing that being a shepherd was not a dull job. David's saying, listen, when I was a shepherd, I had to go chase bears and lions to protect the flock. I'm also reminded of one of my favorite war movies of all time, The Patriot, where Mel Gibson forms a colonial militia to fight against the British during the Revolutionary War. And in the movie, they, they form an alliance with the local church where they get resources and do some recruitment. And at one particular scene, when, when they're about to leave with their new recruits, the, the priest of the church comes out, who's this kind of old, skinny-looking guy, and, and he comes out with his bag packed and, and his gun ready to go to war. And his congregation, some of the members are so shocked to see him that, that their response, they say this to him, they say, Pastor, like, are you actually going to go with these men? You're going to go to war? And the priest's response was, a shepherd must tend to his flock and at times fight off the wolves. This is the imagery that's supposed to come to mind when Jesus talks about being a good shepherd. So Jesus is saying here that he's the promised Messiah, the good shepherd who the world has been longing for, for one reason and one reason alone. And that is because he willingly lays down his life for the sheep. And, and this reason for him being the good shepherd is also our first reason why when Jesus is the shepherd of our lives, we receive life to the full. It's because he willingly lays down his life for us. 
And right after this initial claim in, in verse 11, Jesus goes on in verses 12 and 13 and, and makes a contrast between him and the hired hand. And the hired hand is exactly that. It's someone who was hired to take care of someone else's flock, which is why they run away when, when there's danger. It's not really any surprise that he runs away, right? It's actually pretty predictable when we think about it. I, I would guess that any one of us would probably do the same thing. Like, imagine with me for a second that, that Ben Dockery had a pet fish. Okay, he doesn't, at least that I know of. He doesn't have a pet fish, but imagine that he has a pet fish named Bruce, and, and he loves Bruce. Like, this, is, this fish means the world to him. So much so that he, he's got to go out of town on a trip one day, and, and, and he really needs to make sure someone takes care of Bruce. So, so he asks the intern of the church, he asks me to take care of this fish, and I, I agree. But then I find out that the same day that he's going out of town, I also have a camping trip scheduled, and so I decide, all right, I gotta take, I gotta take Bruce the fish out, out camping with me. I know that this doesn't make sense right now. I promise we're going somewhere with it. So, so, so just hang on with me uh, through this. So it's just me and Bruce the fish out in the wilderness. All right, and like imagine that while I'm like building the campfire and getting the tent up, a pack of wolves comes up to attack us. If that was the case, I would not think twice about leaving Bruce the fish behind and saving my life. Like, I love Ben, I care for him, I want to take care of his fish, but I would run and I wouldn't think twice about it because it's not my fish. Right? The hired hand leaves the flock because they're not his flock. There's, there's no commitment or ties to them, which is all contrasted with Jesus, who does own and care for his sheep. For us as readers, we have to see the full picture that Jesus is painting here. There is a clear threat to the flock, to us that we have to see. And without our good shepherd, we're in danger, right? We're in danger of temptation. We're in danger of living in sin. We're in danger of separation from God. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you realized your life was being threatened? Like all of a sudden you're like, I, I might not make it out of this. For me, the, the, the first thing that comes to mind is we were just in a series of really bad storms, and I've driven in a lot of bad weather, uh, but, but fairly recently I was driving on 294 during a blizzard, and I came around a corner and hit a, a patch of ice or, or snow, and, and I lost control of my car. And I lost control to where I started to spin, and I did a complete 180 to where I was facing the traffic that was coming towards me. And in that moment, my gut dropped, and I thought I was surely going to die. I'm sure everyone in here has had some experience like that where, where your gut drops and you start praying immediately because you're in real danger. That's the kind of danger that Jesus is talking about here, right? This isn't figurative language. We are in actual real danger when we are without our good shepherd. And when we realize this, it should lead to some sort of reaction, right? There should be urgency in our lives to remove ourselves from that danger, this is why it's so important that we ask ourselves who we're following and putting our faith in. Who's the shepherd of our lives right now? Is it Jesus, the good shepherd, who willingly lays down his life for us? Or is it the hired hand? The text never specifies on exactly who the hired hand is. But, but we all know who the hired hands of our lives are, right? It's anyone or anything that takes our attention away from the good shepherd and leads us astray. It could be Satan, it could be false teachers, it could be self-help gurus, or money, or politicians, or ideologies. It could be anything. What Jesus is telling us is, if we put our hope in the hired hand, then we will be left at the mercy of the wolves with no guidance, no direction, no protection. But when we follow the voice of the good shepherd, so when we know his word so well that we recognize it in our lives when he calls 
or when we have the ability to follow his promptings for our lives through prayer and through the Holy Spirit, when we follow that good shepherd, we receive a sacrificial security. This text is here to tell us that we belong to Jesus. And unlike the hired hand, in the face of sin and death, Jesus does not run away. He stands between us and the danger. This is the first reason why or how Jesus gives us life to the full. It's because he willingly lays down his life for his sheep. But when we keep going and look at verses 14 through 16, we see a a second way that Jesus gives us life to the full. And that is that Jesus loves his sheep. Okay, he loves you. He loves his sheep. And if you're looking at the text, you might be wondering, where are we getting the word love from? Right, because that's not the word that's used to describe how Jesus feels about his sheep. If you look at the word that's used in verse 14, it says Jesus knows his sheep, not loves. But in the Greek, there's a couple of different words that can be used to know something. And in verse 14, the Greek word that's used to know is a word called gnosko, which is a word that can reference a more intimate kind of knowing. So when Jesus says he knows his sheep, it's more than just him having information about us. Right, and this is all throughout the Bible. Right? We see it in Genesis where Adam says he, he knew his wife and she had a baby, or Cain knew his wife and she had a baby. We see it in Amos when God says, Israel are the only people that I've known. Right? Does this mean that, that God didn't know about any of the other people or the other nations? He only knew the Jews? Of course that's not what it means, right? Historically, knowing wasn't necessarily just about having information. It could be a reference to an intimate relationship or an intimate fellowship between two parties. So when Jesus says he knows his sheep and his sheep know him, he's saying that he loves his sheep with the deepest, most intimate, most self-sacrificing kind of love that there is. It's more than just knowing who each of us are. Jesus intimately loves and cherishes each one of us. He sees us and knows us on the deepest of levels. He hears us when we cry out to him and when we're wounded. And it's because of this that he's willing to lay down his life for us. I think a lot of times this is something that we struggle with today, though. I mean, certainly I do, right? Like, I I can say, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus loves me. I've heard the nursery rhyme. Yeah, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. I, I get it. But then we come up with excuses or reasons why that couldn't be true. Or we say things like, like, Jesus could never love and accept me because of the things that I've done. Or I've, I've messed up too much. There's, there's no hope or forgiveness for me. Or yeah, but he's like that with everyone. I'm not special. Right? Jesus feels the same way about me as he does towards everyone else. I'm, I'm no different. Or I don't think Jesus could actually love and accept someone like me. I'm, I'm not worthy enough to receive that kind of love. But when we look at the text, we see that this couldn't be further from the truth. We aren't expected to go through life on our own. Jesus doesn't even want us to attempt to go through life on our own. He wants us to lean into his love for us and allow that love to build us up and transform us daily so that we can live abundant and fruitful lives. We have to remind ourselves that Jesus sacrificed everything so that we can live and be in relationship with him. This is the second way that Jesus gives us life to the full. But when we look at verses 17 through 18, there's a third way that's probably the most important reason of all uh, of how Jesus gives us life to the full. Not only does Jesus willingly lay down his life for us, and not only does Jesus love us, but Jesus breaks the curse of sin for us. 
He conquers death for us. This third point really goes back to our first point and explains why it was necessary for Jesus to die in the first place. Right? He's not just laying down his life for the sake of laying down his life. D.A. Carson describes it by saying that Jesus isn't dying for some arbitrary act to show us how serious he is. Right? It's not like, like Jesus is jumping off of a cliff and screaming on the way down, see, this is how much I love you, as he falls to his unnecessary death. There is a real danger and threat to the flock. And by defending the flock, the good shepherd loses his life, so that by his death, we are saved. And what's really incredible about how all this plays out is Jesus defends his flock in a really unconventional way. Right? Because when we think about someone who needs protection or defense, we think about a gun to stop the intruder or a sword to fight off the wolves. But Jesus doesn't use any of those things. What Jesus uses is a wooden, rugged cross that he gets nailed to in order to take on our sins. So let's uh, walk through really briefly what Jesus does. All right, the threat that we're facing is a divine punishment and separation from God. And without our good shepherd, we are all lost sheep who rightfully deserve death because of our actions. Right, we've strayed from the flock. We've not kept the law. We've, we've fallen into temptation. We've put other things before God. And as a result, we are guilty. But, but God doesn't leave us in that place. Right? God, being infinitely loving and merciful, sends us the good shepherd who willingly lays down his life for us and conquers the grave so that we can be forgiven and seen as completely blameless, completely innocent, even though we have failed. And this was the plan all along. Right? Jesus didn't stumble into the cross on accident. This was God's redemptive plan for the world from the beginning. Everything has led up to and pointed to the sacrifice of the good shepherd who says at the end of verse 17, I lay down my life only to take it up again. Right? This shows us that, that the crucifixion and resurrection wasn't a fluke or an accident. It was the plan. Jesus willingly lays down his life, and three days later, he willingly took it back, defeating death and breaking the curse of sin. The, the crucifixion always looked forward to the resurrection. And, and this is the good news of the gospel, right? This is good news for the sheep who belong to the good shepherd. But I think sometimes we, we forget this, right? And I, don't, I don't mean that we forget what Jesus has done and we forget the foundations of our faith, but I think sometimes we can get so caught up in the busyness and the routines of life to where we're no longer in awe of what Jesus did on the cross and continues to do in our lives, Every Friday, all of the, the Christchurch interns get together with Siler, and we talk about ministry and go through books, and right now we're reading a book called Dangerous Calling by Paul David Tripp. And in one of the chapters, he talks about how common it is for us to lose our awe of the gospel. Okay, he compares it to the first drive that we take to the, to the new job, where we're hyper-aware of our surroundings. Right, so, you know, you're aware of the sounds that you're hearing, the, the streets that you're taking, the businesses that you're passing. You're, you're aware of the details of your trip. But then by the 20th trip to that same job, you stop being aware, right? You're no longer looking at the details. You're just kind of zoned out on autopilot, wishing that traffic would move faster. When we do this in our faith and don't let the gospel shape us and mold us and transform us, when we don't allow the gospel to do something in our hearts and in our minds, we miss out on the gift of Christ. It's so easy for us to get stuck on autopilot, so easy for us to stop being moved by the love that Jesus displayed. 
but we have to remind ourselves that our faith is not just a religious club where we come to hang out for an hour on Sundays and then leave and forget about it until the next Sunday. When Jesus becomes the shepherd of our lives, we become transformed daily to become more holy and more like the image of God. The the goodness of the good shepherd should lead to worship and thankfulness and obedience. It should stir something up inside of us where as his sheep, we come to him with all of our needs and our worries and we become dependent on him and we ask him for forgiveness and we put him first in every aspect of our lives. So we put him first at our jobs, with our spouses, with, with our kids, with our time, our money, our desires. This is what it means to be part of his flock. And Jesus wants us to know him in the same way that he knows us. Jesus breaking the curse of sin for his flock is the reason why we gather here together as one body and worship. And it's by this action that he gives us true life to the full. Jesus willingly lays down his life for us because he loves us so that we can be released from the curse of sin. So that's it, right? We can, you know, parable's over. We can close our Bibles, pray, and see you guys next week, right? Not quite. Uh, There's three extra verses, if you look, in our section today that John uses, or he adds to the end of our parable. And we have to look at those three verses and understand them in the context of what Jesus just said. So those three verses are uh, John uh, 11, I'm sorry, John 10, verses 19 through 21. Uh, I'm going to read those real quick for us right now. It says this, The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He's a demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, "These These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Verses 19 through 21 show us how polarizing what Jesus just said actually was. Right? There were two responses to what he said. Either people followed him or they rejected him. Right? Jesus wasn't this uh, a vanilla guy. He went around and made radical, disruptive claims where people's responses was either he's the Messiah or he has a demon inside of him. Right? No one heard Jesus and said, eh, Right? No one was going around saying, hey, what do you think of that Jesus guy? He's making a lot of noise. Yeah, he's all right, I guess. I mean, he's an okay teacher. Uh, sure is doing a lot of good for the community. You know, those healings, we, always good to, to have some healings and some miracles. And, and it's good to see, you know, the, the community have someone to rally around. I, personally, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it, but I guess it's all right. No one would have reacted that way. Jesus caused a reaction wherever he went. And the fact that this is how John ends this section is absolutely brilliant by John because it shows that Jesus was right. The people do exactly what he said they would do. Either they follow him or they don't. This text forces us to ask ourselves, whose flock do we belong to? Right? Who's the shepherd who's guiding our lives? Who do we say that Jesus is? Are we in the camp that says he's got a demon inside of him? Or are we in the camp that says he's Messiah and Lord? Jesus wants to lead us. He wants us to simply follow him. We all follow something, right? And we need to ask ourselves if there's a hired hand in our lives who we're currently following and putting our hope in, if, what are they offering you in your life currently? Right? Is, it, is it money or status or security or short-term satisfaction? 
Whatever it is, it pales. It, 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 oh, what, what is that? It, 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 it's nothing in compared to the goodness and, and the joy that we get when we follow Jesus, the good shepherd who gives us joy from the cross. We get access to the Father. We receive peace and guidance from the Son of God who leads us to true everlasting life. There's one more verse that I want to read from, from our section before we wrap up today. And it's, it's actually the verse right before our section uh, that we just read. It's, it's John chapter 10, verse 10. And in this verse, Jesus tells us why he came in the first place. He says this, I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus has come. He's the good shepherd and lays down his life so that we can have life and have it to the full. Jesus gave himself up for us, and all he asks in return is for us to worship him. So let us go from here today, keeping our eyes on the good shepherd who willingly laid down his life for us. We are the sheep of his pasture. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the way that it, it transforms our lives and powerfully moves us to, to, to live our lives in a way that honors and glorifies you. God, thank you for sending us your good shepherd to, to lay down his life for us and to love us and to give us everything. God, I pray that as we all go from here today that we wouldn't be deceived by the hired hands of our lives and the false promises and the false security that they offer to us but instead we would completely trust and hope in you, our good shepherd. Pray all this in your precious name. Amen.